0: Hi everyone. I'm Lloyd Freeman. I'm the Chief Diversity and Inclusion Officer here at Buchanan, and thank you so much uh, for joining us. This year our firm has been hosting a series of intimate conversations with inspirational legal luminaries, and today I am pleased to welcome Mary Beth Buchanan as my guest. Uh, Mary Beth is a trailblazer in her own right. Uh, She's absolutely shattered glass ceilings in both the public and the private sectors. Uh, You may know her because she is the former United States Attorney for the Western District of Pennsylvania, And at the time, she was the first woman and the youngest to be appointed to that post. Currently, Mary Beth is the vice president of the Cardano Foundation Board of Directors. And today, what we're gonna do is we're gonna walk through a Mary Beth's amazing career, her historic appointment, her pivot to the private sector, her advice for women and allies in the workplace, and so much more. So welcome, Mary Beth.
1: Thank you very much, Lloyd. It's so great to be here with you. Yes, I'm excited because I know that you've just got
0: uh, so many different parts to, um, you know, to your your career and uh, so many different things that you've accomplished. So I'm hoping that we can get through um, uh, as many of them as possible in the balance of the time we have together. Um, I just found it to be extraordinary uh, just looking at your body of work. And so for someone to have reached, you know, the highest of heights in both the public and the private sector. But if we start back at the beginning, you started your career at a law firm. Uh, what drove you to go into a firm and And what was that like when you were practicing law at a law firm?
1: Sure. Well, um, the the summer before I joined the law firm, I interned uh, with Chief Judge Kohil. And I spent a whole summer with him, in addition to also working uh, for, for another company. And I got to watch a couple of trials and he would take us into chambers, you know, every day. And we talk about what happened in court. Mm -hmm. And I, I knew right then I wanted to try cases in federal court. And so I hurriedly sent out um, applications for judicial clerkships, which I was way too late as as everyone on this call knows. (laughs) Um, And I also applied to be an assistant U.S. attorney, which I I never thought, you know, would would happen. And uh, since this didn't happen before September. I, I did join a law firm, uh, one that I thought would give me an opportunity to um, actually get involved in cases as opposed to just you know, doing documents for a long time. And then a couple months later, I got a call from the U.S. Attorney's Office. I, I didn't expect uh, to hear from them. And uh, w- luckily, one of the partners had previously been with the Department of Justice. And I went to him and, and you know, explained this dilemma. And he said, oh, this is not a dilemma. Uh, at you know, all. People, if people, people give their right arm to, to become an assistant U.S. attorney, you know, go do it. You're going to learn so much. And when you're done, you know, come on back. I just never got around to that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but still great advice. And so it seems as if um, the ultimate goal, you mentioned that it was to to try cases, but were you thinking even at that young age that, you know, you ultimately wanted to end up at, at the Department of Justice and trying cases on behalf of the United States of America?
1: Well, as soon as I had that summer clerkship, I did. I mean, I think in, in law school, I always knew that I was interested in you know, in, in the trial area, and that's mm-hmm. what, what I was focusing on. Uh, and I probably, if I had to give advice to young lawyers today, I would say, don't be so narrow in law school. Think about all of the options that, that you can do, and think about talking to as many people who do different things, because I never really had any exposure to the corporate side. And and I wish, looking back, that maybe I had not been quite as narrow, although, you know, it, it certainly turned out uh, pretty well for me.
0: Yeah, it worked out just fine. <laughs> so, you know, you mentioned that you joined the U.S. Attorney's Office. I believe that was around 1988. Um, and there had not yet been a woman who served as the U.S. Attorney for the Western District. Um, what was that moment that you felt that it was possible for a woman to attain that post or, and certainly more specifically, when did you believe that it would be possible for you to attain that post?
1: Well, it, it didn't happen for a long time. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I started uh, in the civil division and I was trying cases before I'd ever seen one and really got a tremendous amount of experience and then moved over to the criminal side where there were even fewer women And so everyone that i encountered on a daily basis uh men on the bench uh you know male agents male supervisors there really weren't that many you know women role models and when the the 2000 election happened um i was thinking about possibly you know tossing my hat into the ring for the judicial um, appointments because there were five of them and someone said to me hey why, why don't you think about u.s attorney and I thought, well, that's just crazy. I mean, there's, there's, <laughs> you know, there's only one of them. And, and you know, we've never had someone from inside the office and there's never been a woman. It, it had been, you know, 225 years or so, and it just didn't seem possible. But then I thought about it. And I thought, I I have tried more cases in so many different, more so than some people who who take the federal bench. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and why not me? And, and, and so, at that moment, I, I decided I am determined. You know, I might not get this, but I, I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that people take, you know, take my um, my skills seriously and give me uh, due consideration.
0: I love that. And one thing that I, I heard you and talking about in your experience at the U.S. Attorney's Office is that you were both on the civil side and the criminal side. And I know that uh, that oftentimes isn't the case. Oftentimes people are kind of one or the other, but you were able to kind of um, uh, oscillate between the two. Uh, what made you want to shift over to go to do criminal?
1: Well, no, actually, yeah, I, I had tried a number of civil cases and I, I enjoyed that, but those tend to be non-jury. And so mm-hmm. I, because when it's the government, the government gets to choose non-jury. Uh, so I wanted to move to the criminal side so that I could try uh, cases in front of a jury. and I picked the area that I thought would get me the most opportunity, which is violent crime. So dealing with guns, drugs, carjacking, uh, child exploitation, is those sentences tend to be pretty steep, and more more defendants will, you know, opt to go to trial. And I, I also, Volunteer to help other people. Like if someone had a big trial, they needed a second seat. Um, I was always, you know, like, I'll do it, I'll do it because, you know, you, you're there for the experience and, exactly. and for the opportunity to do these things. So I, I tried, uh, you know, every way possible to try to get as much ex- experience as I could.
0: So now you're in the process. Uh, and so you're, you're being nominated. And then, of course, there comes the confirmation. Um, uh, walk us through that process because I know that you were confirmed. Uh, to the U.S. attorney position just days after the September 11th attacks on the country. Uh, and so walk us through how that shaped your actual nomination and confirmation.
1: Well, it, it is it's a very long process. First, in, in Pennsylvania at the time, um, each senator had an opportunity to nominate eight people to a nominating commission. Oh, wow. and so we had to submit an application and then appear to interview in front of 16 people. And uh, you know, that was a pretty daunting process because the the degree of knowledge of, of the members really varied, you know, tremendously. And so you had to get through that process and be one of the final three. And then you had to get the approval or the agreement of the two senators. And then you had to get, uh, you know, the approval of the Department of Justice and the White House, and then go through a full, uh, you know, full Senate uh, background investigation. Yes. And, and so like every step of the way... I kept thinking, you know, who knows what's going to happen next. Something could go wrong. (laughs) And, and until, and until I'm actually, you know, see my name on the door, like, I'm not going to believe it until it happens. And so it was was a long process. And, uh, you know, at some point along the way I was told, you know, kind of quietly, you're the choice. So, you know, just don't screw it up. (laughs) Like anything wrong. Um, and, uh, I, you know, I just, I, I waited, uh, for, you know, for next steps and I was offered the opportunity to go in uh, on an acting basis and to be the acting okay. U.S. attorney in the summer of 2001. And I had had a longstanding vacation uh, plan with my husband. We were going to Spain and I, I didn't want to cancel the vacation. I didn't want to take the, take the job and then go on vacation, you know, and have something, something bad happen back in the district. And so we we went on the vacation, and a couple of days uh, into it, I was nominated. So the nomination, uh, you know, came while we were away.
0: While you're while you're out of the country.
1: <laughs> yeah, in fact, we we were in Spain, and um, people were faxing me things to the hotel. And I think the the faxes <laughs> characterized me as being like the the you know top justice post. And the guys at the hotel were like, mm, she must be important. <laughs> so it was it was kind of exciting to have this happen, uh, you know, out of the district. But then, um, on our return, oh, we were returning on nine 11. And you were so, on
0: a plane on nine 11
1: on a plane coming back wow. from Madrid, uh, to Philadelphia. And we, like everyone else in the sky that day, um, you know, were diverted somewhere. We, we actually went all the way back to Madrid and, mm. uh, was outside of the country for, you know, for days. And, and while the events were happening, um, well, I had told one of the flight attendants that I just got nominated, you know, to be the U.S. attorney, and I was going home to start this new job. And so she was telling me, you know, what was happening, um, you know, while we were in the air. And you know, it was a terrifying day, you know, for everyone. But I, you know, had to wait a few days to get back. And during this time, I was confirmed. And I didn't know I'd been confirmed. I think the Justice Department didn't realize I'd been confirmed. And so I reached back into Pennsylvania. And, um, you know, just hit the ground running.
0: Wow. Wow. So I, I was going to ask, you know, how did that moment in time, uh, of course, being confirmed around, you know, the September 11th attacks, uh, shape your time in the U.S. Attorney's Office? But, I mean, clearly it was the beginning of your career. And it, and I know that, of course, there was a... Um, uh, a site in Pennsylvania as well. And so it seems like from the moment you get off of, of that vacation, I mean, you really went right into the job. I mean, with no ramp up period, if you will.
1: Well, I, I remember um, actually doing an interview uh, from Seville, I think, uh, with one of the local radio stations about what, you know, what, what my priorities would be as a attorney. I didn't even remember what they were at the time because everything went out the window after 9-11 right. and, right. and all of our number one priorities, of course, were, uh, you know, keeping keeping uh, people safe and, and preventing further acts of terrorism. So that was everyone's number one priority. And, and in fact, upon returning to the district, one of the first things I did was uh, to join Attorney General Ashcroft and um, other uh, officials out at the Shanksville site. Mm-hmm. And I, I recall it feeling like one of the longest days of my life because I we, we went around to all many different places and, and we met family members and recovery workers and um, you know saw the hangar where they had collected you know pieces of things that that they you know, picked up in the field and it was a long day and and I remember you know saying to the then uh, state attorney general what am I supposed to be doing and the attorney general heard me and, and he looked and he said you tell them that you are the newly appointed United States attorney, and you are going to track down these terrorists, and you're going to hold them accountable. And so it just makes you stand up straighter and say, "Yes, yeah. sir."
0: There's no, you know, you couldn't imagine that that's going to be kind of how you begin, you know, your tenure in in this position. And I imagine there was no training for something like that. So what do you tap into? Uh, when you have to lead in a time of crisis like that? Uh, I guess specifically as it related to, you know, what you were doing there with the um, navigating, you know, being in this post around 9-11, but just generally, how how should leaders respond in a time of
1: crisis? Well, you know, I, I knew that one of the things I wanted to do as U.S. Attorney, because I had been there for so many years and I'd mm-hmm. seen US attorneys um, before me. And there were a lot of things that worked well and some things that didn't work. So I was thinking about like what were the things I wanted to make sure I continued and which one should never happen. But that that time, you know, in our history, I realized we all have to be the best that we can be. And we have to rely on all the resources that we have. And I remember going to some of my senior staff, you know, lawyers who had tried more cases than I had and who were just really good. And And I said to them, look, I'm not going to micromanage you. I know you can do your job and I know that you can, you know, oversee these investigations and I'm going to rely on you to do that. But I need you to keep me informed because the attorney general is going to be calling me and I don't ever want to be caught off guard. And we did have a number of cases, uh, you know, in the different things that did not turn out to be terrorist acts, Mm -hmm. but, you know, there was a big case we had uh, involving, uh, Iraqi truck drivers who who had uh, commercial driver's licenses, which they shouldn't have had. And so there was this suspicion that they were somehow involved. and we thoroughly investigated they were not involved they they just you know had had the opportunity to get these licenses, but had nothing to do you know with terrorism. and we, we had to make sure that we got that information to the attorney general so that this did not come out the wrong way and that these people were um, you know, improperly blamed for doing something that that they weren't involved with. So it was really important to to keep everyone, you know, fully, um, fully aware of of what the real facts were.
0: Whoa. Um, But but in all of this, and in kind of even, even just me processing it right now, you know, I'm thinking about how clearly you're always on, you know, as as the United States Attorney, uh, but you also are remembering that you are um, uh, the U.S. Attorney, but you're also Mary Beth uh, Buchanan. And so... Um, you're in a, a very tumultuous time and you're, you're leading and it's a time of crisis and you have this huge office and, and the attorney general is calling up on you. You're trying to keep, you know, our people safe. What is it and how do you um, practice some modicum of self-care uh, in, in a time like that? Because, of course, making sure that you're all right and so that you can still, of course, uh, perform at a very uh, high level.
1: Well, in the beginning, I don't think I did a very good job of that because there wasn't quite enough time. Uh, yeah,
0: you were just trying to catch your breath, I'm sure. <laughs> my
1: um my assistant would always get it, or my first assistant would get into the office really early in the morning, and I would always stay pretty late at night so I could catch what was happening on the West Coast and to be you know be there to field uh, you know field calls. And there were way too many days where I ate whatever I could from the federal cafeteria while sitting at my desk and you know, forgot about exercise, even though I had just been a, you know, a marathon runner. And so to have gone from that much exercise to none at all, it, it was, it was not a good transition and not, not one that, that I would advise anyone. And, and in fact, after, you know, a year or so of this, I started realizing I need to get back to the gym. I need to do something to, you know, release stress and, and, and you know, exercise again. And, and remember that there's more to life than just this job, even though this job is pretty darn important.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you know, and that kind of transcends, um, uh, you know, the role. I mean, of course, I, I'm not going to equate anyone's, um, you know, position with uh, a law firm or, or a corporation, etc., with navigating, you know, a time like this and and being a U.S. attorney. But uh, there's still, of course, that 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 balance in making sure that you're okay uh, again, so that you can perform at the level that everyone needs you to, because lots of people are depending upon you.
1: Well, one thing that I did do, I I said to my my secretary, my you know my it, assistant and, and my, my first assistant, I told them, I want you guys, if I'm, if I'm, you know, short with you or I'm, I, you know, not really, you tell me, (laughs) you know, because I do feel (laughs) like I have a lot, a a lot of, uh, you know, on my plate and I'm trying to keep all the balls in the air and do everything, you know, and, and sometimes you you end up moving fast when you do that. And, and so I counted on them, you know, to, uh, you know, Keep, keep things under control and, and to definitely speak out if, if they thought that, um, you know, I was I'm moving too fast.
0: Gotcha. You know, of course, understanding that um, uh, the terrorist attacks absolutely must have shaped uh, everything that you did while you were a U.S. Attorney, but I am sure that um, kind of turning the corner a bit, there have to be um, some some very fond memories. Uh, you know, when you look back in your time in the U.S. Attorney's Office, what are some of those moments that, that bring you a smile? What are some of those uh, most memorable moments uh, that you can kind of recall from when you were uh, sitting in that position?
1: You know, there's so many. Uh, you know, I first wanted to make sure that the office as a whole was working together and that it wasn't a lawyers versus non-lawyers and so we we held our first ever uh sleep away retreat we we went uh to ogilby park or you know, the hotel there and it was the whole office and and so there were segments where we we had um you know comments from everyone and i wanted to make sure that this was uh you know a very inclusive place and that we were mm-hmm. taking suggestions from everyone and so that's that is definitely where where i started i also uh, on really important cases where we might consider uh, you know, giving someone with a life sentence a break because he was going to testify against others, I would bring in all the all the agencies and, and including the case agents who who worked on the case, because I wanted to hear what what they thought. N- not that it was a vote. you know, but but i I didn't want them to to express their opinions to someone else. I wanted them to tell me and, and to allow me to be um, you know informed but by, by those thoughts. I think every every time we had a big success as an office, and, and we had an, an annual you know meeting where we would go through the the year and talk about you know what we had done, and and it was amazing to to think about what we could do when we really worked together. I think we we increased prosecutions like 300 percent, and and it was by getting everyone on the same page and having everyone. Um, you know, understand what the what the guidelines were, what kind of cases would we take? How would we be more efficient? How could we share information? and and we were we were very proud of that. What, one other um, you know, fond memory, I guess, was being invited to the White House uh, to oh of
0: course, I'm sure <laughs>
1: to uh, talk to the President about how we'd use certain legislation for domestic and international terrorism. And so I was invited, along with just a handful of other u s. attorneys to uh, to the east room, and we were walking around the room because I saw that their are name plates, and I, and I wanted to know where am I going to go sit when everyone says take your seat. And so I see I see my name plate, and right across from me is the president of the United States. And I really I am going to be sitting across from the president. <laughs> and I was so nervous that I I reached down and I I took a you know glass of liquid that was sitting at the place next to me and I drank it. And the attorney general was horrified. He said, you just drank the vice president's Sprite. (laughs) (laughs) So then I just took it. I moved it over to my seat. And, um, you know, at the last minute they came and they pulled the chair away and and the vice president never showed up. (laughs) So he never knew I drank his Sprite.
0: That's too funny. It's good to know that those are still, you know, very real people, you know, even at those important uh, tables that, you know, you still have some of the same worries and concerns that that we do, you know, working in the private sector, et cetera. I just wanted to to underscore something you talked about, you know, in building out the office that you wanted it to be. And what you really did there was, was the personification of all of the you know DNI talks or, or DNI articles that you will read about, you know, fostering this inclusive workplace, and it really just means making sure that you know everyone has a voice, that everyone feels valued, and so really being able to bring all those people together. And, and I see that you even cross that that invisible line that exists oftentimes, you know, and then the legal um, uh, field where you have the, the quote lawyers and the non-lawyers, or you have the professional staff that assists, you know, the attorneys with their work. And bringing them all together and letting them know that, you know, we can't get to our ultimate outcomes which serving the client, serving the country, serving the Western District without everyone and really having this be a collaborative effort. So uh, kudos to you and what you were doing there. Your, your response?
1: Yeah. And one one of the other things that I did, I looked around the office because I knew these people. I had worked with them for many years. Mm-hmm. And there were a lot of unsung heroes and they tended to be women and minorities hmm. who did a phenomenal job and they worked really hard, but they were never promoted to supervisory roles. And so I looked at who was in those roles and I made the changes and I promoted some of these unsung heroes and, uh, you know, moved some people around. And I I did get a little objection from some people in the office and they said, well, wait a minute, she's never managed anything. You know, I'm like, yes, but you didn't either. And nobody Mm -hmm. questioned you when they gave you this appointment. And so, you know, the, these people have worked really hard for many years, and we're going to give them a chance. And if it doesn't work out, we can always change it. But but they deserve this chance.
0: I love that. You know, and it takes someone who is that catalyst for change. You know, you were in this extremely powerful and, and very public position. And so I am sure that probably every time someone talked about you and getting to uh, the US attorney spot that they talked about you being, of course, the youngest and the first woman, et cetera. So it meant a lot, I have no doubt, to to the Pittsburgh area, to the Western District, to, to the profession. To have someone who looked like you as as the U.S. attorney, and so I love the fact that you were very intentional about developing, you know, the the talent from the women attorneys and those uh, underrepresented individuals, so that they could, of course, also have a shot. Um, was it kind of always in the back of your head, you know, I may be the first, but I want to make sure that when I leave this office, I don't want to be only ever. Um, was there some kind of intentionality there with developing talent so that you know, kind of the legacy could continue?
1: Absolutely, absolutely, I you know, intentionally promoted people who I thought could lead and and many of them did. And and those people that I promoted are, are, you know, leading the office today. I also thought about giving people opportunities to go and do details, you know, either to the Department of Justice or to other agencies. And that was something that was always available. But I don't think that the U.S. attorneys before me really thought about developing individuals. Mm -hmm. And and they, they didn't, really look for those opportunities. Now, I had, um, you know, a good view into those opportunities because I was chair of the Attorney General's Advisory Committee. And for a time, I was also the director of the executive office. In fact, for many, many years, I actually did two jobs at the same time. So, so I did a job in Pittsburgh. And then I also had a job in Washington. And I went back and forth every wow. single week and really filled two roles. So I knew about a lot of these opportunities, and I would bring them you know to the attention of people in the office because it would benefit them individually, but it would also benefit the office to let them go get those experiences and then bring them back to the district.
0: That's great. That's great. Um, but but as it pertains to you and kind of as you were either, A, coming up through the ranks or, or of course, once you actually got to the position of US Attorney, uh, there was no other woman who had held that post before. But I'm assuming though that you had to draw some source of inspiration. Uh, And so who were those sources of inspiration, uh, be they men or women uh, who influenced you and really helped to shape you uh, as a leader? Um, uh, Who were those individuals and and what did they actually pour into you?
1: Well, first I would say that, uh, you know, when I went to law school, I think that women represented about 30% of of the graduating class. Okay. And when, when I graduated in 87, I remember thinking, why do we need different bar associations? Why do we need the Black Bar Association, the Hispanic Bar, the Women's? Like, aren't we all just lawyers? Why do we need this? But it wasn't very long that I realized, oh no, we do need this <laughs> because we we need to know each other, and we need to help each other out, and we need to make sure that people who look like us, whatever that us looks like, mm-hmm. that we that we get represented um, to speak at conferences, that we get you know these roles, and that it's not always other people. And, yeah. and to, to have those, uh, you know, places where you can go and really get to know people who, who help each other. So that was something along the way that, you know, I, I didn't originally join the Women's Bar Association because I had this other thought. And then I quickly realized I was wrong. And I joined it and um, ultimately led, uh, you know, the Women's Bar and found it to be uh, just it, it, you know, invaluable. And so one of my role models, of course, uh, Judge Carol Mansman, who who I uh, admired uh, for for so long, not not just because she was a woman judge, but because she was just a brilliant jurist. Mm-hmm. Uh, she arg- argued before the U.S. Supreme Court, I think, when she was in her 30s. So she was someone, um, you know, that that I looked to, um, who was, um, you know, a just professional, professional. Um, brilliant jurist. And, and people admired her, not because she was the woman judge, but because she was a great judge. Mm-hmm. And so I, I looked up to her and um, did view her as a role model. And I'm so pleased that she was able to speak at my, uh, my installation ceremony. You know, I also had male role models. Um, uh, Bob Sindrich, for example, you know, he, he, he had been, um, you know, the US attorney before me, and he was on, on the bench at the time. And we spent a lot of uh, early evening sitting up at his chambers talking about things because you can't really share everything with people, you know, in the offices. It's great <laughs> you know, to have mentors. Every
0: office, by the way.
1: <laughs> to have mentors, uh, you know, that you can rely on to come in all different places. And, you know, men, men can be great mentors, you know, as well as women to women lawyers. So
0: I'm sure there is someone who is listening to us chat, Mary Beth, and and has an opposite view, or, or at least has not explored the other view, you know, and they're thinking, you know, because I am uh, a Black attorney, or because I'm a, a Black professional, I need to find someone who looks like me, because those are the only ones who are going to understand me, or there's a woman out there who is only seeking out, you know, women uh, as mentors. Can you talk about how, you know, getting that other perspective, um, you know, from people who identify differently than you, how that Played an important role in really being able to give you kind of um, a more well-rounded view of of the position overall, but even just navigating the profession.
1: Well, you know, what, one of the things I did um, on my path to try to become the U.S. attorney, mm-hmm. I, I had not I had not been involved in in anything political because as an assistant U.S. attorney, you're you're barred from doing that. So you you can maybe give some contribute some, some money, but you can't really do anything. So I didn't know a lot of these people. Mm-hmm. But I sat I down and I thought about, you know, who is it that the senators are relying on? Who is it out here in the legal community? I need to figure out who these people are. So I did go to people who I know, and, and ask them for advice. And it's so easy to ask people for advice because you're not really asking them to do something for you You're just saying you know hey i'm thinking about doing this like what what do you think about it uh do you have any idea how this works who who else would you advise that i talk to and i think i had a list of about 60 people that i met along the way because i i didn't know them and i knew that you know they, they might uh you know be able to share you know some some you know important wisdom with me and they did and and i think it was going through that process that helped me you know, to, to really meet a lot of different people in the community. And along the way, I, I did say, well, you might not know me because I'm not involved in, you know, these sort of activities, but, you know, I've, I've been on terrible boards and I've been an assistant, I've tried these cases, I've done these things and, and uh, you know, I'm pretty qualified. And, you know, I, I, sometimes it will be people who were even supporting other people. And I would say, I know you're supporting this person, but if it doesn't work out for him, you know, I, I want to make sure you know who, who I am. And, you know, it was a lot of effort, but I broadened, uh, my, uh, just, you know, my, my contacts in, in the city of Pittsburgh, and it was a, a worth, worthwhile thing to have done, even if it didn't work out, but of course, I'm glad it worked out.
0: But probably equally as important, though, you know, of course, you are, you know, being your biggest champion, your biggest cheerleader in those rooms, you're, you're making the connections, meeting the people, uh, but the people who were speaking your name uh, and talking about your qualifications when you were not in the room, you know, were you later, of course, told about some of those individuals who were essentially acting as a sponsor, you know, for your career and talking about, you know, how great you would be, even when you weren't even there.
1: Definitely, definitely. And I think just get taking making that effort to get to know people and to talk to them. uh, You know, they'll think about you and, and think about maybe Right, coming up your name coming up in some other conversation. I remember telling people I did this, and they're like, "I can't believe you did this. weren't you weren't you embarrassed? Didn't you think, you know?" <laughs> I'm like, "Well, I figured I don't really have anything to lose. You know, I I don't know these people, and you know, what can it hurt? And and if you ask for someone's help, I found that even if they don't help you, they won't hurt you. So yeah. it, it was a good a good, and I think I learned that got that advice. Uh, from attending a, a women's seminar about women who might want to run for the bench. And one uh, female judge said that that was something she'd learned, that if you ask for help, you might not get the help, but at least you won't get them, uh, you know, working against you.
0: I love that. I love that. Um, I, I relate to to your story, Mary Beth, because I can tell you that, you know, as, as a Black man who navigated, you know, private practice and came up through the ranks, et cetera, I mean, you know, I was certainly the only person who looked like me, identified like me, in, in many spaces, um, give us some advice as to how one can navigate the, the, the workplace as being the only, being the only person who looks like you, what keeps you motivated when you don't see anyone else around you who looks like you, when you don't see anyone who's, you know, kind of risen through the, uh, through the ranks and become the, the highest, you know, uh, elected individual or appointed individual?
1: I think one of the things I did, uh, even as I was a young AUSA, USA, I was trying to figure out how do certain people seem to get the best cases all the time, but why does that happen? <laughs> and I went to speak to some of these people that seem to get the best cases, and they said, well, you know, I'm, I'm a guy, and I can go out drinking with the agents, and, you know. That was the married, answer. That was the answer, and you're oh. a married woman, and, and you have children, and you, you know, you can't do that. And oh so I thought, wow, OK, so there's got to be another way for me then. I, I, if, if, if I'm not going to be hanging out at the bar, um, let's figure out how I can build relationships with these people other ways. Uh-huh. So I, I went to all their golf tournaments and I took golf lessons and I learned how to play golf and I, you know, did, to, to be able to make those relationships. I also said, well, what else would they appreciate? They would appreciate someone investigating their cases and bringing their cases to the grand jury promptly. So, like, mm-hmm. do really good work. and if you do really good work for them, that ought to make them want to bring their cases back. And so I like that's that's what I did. I focused on you know, how can I do this? And I was the the head of a violent crime task force and I was also the head of a financial crime task force. And so I worked really hard to to try to uh, you know give great service to to our agents. You know, clients who were bringing their cases to us, and so I I, I didn't get it through the bar, but I got it through hard work.
0: Wow. So, I mean, what you're what you're identifying there, of course, are are some of the biases um, uh, that are that are ever present in the workplace. Um, But you're also talking about, you know, of course, some of those very difficult decisions, oftentimes that are on the plates of women who are professionals. You know, again, transcends industry. You know, where you're talking about how can I navigate, you know, being a professional and wanting to move up, you know, in my, um, uh, my career and also, of course, having a family and, and being present with my family. What are some of the other, uh, challenges, um, that maybe you faced or, or women generally continue to face in the workplace and, uh, maybe even also give some of the employers who are listening some advice as to how we can address them?
1: Well, I mean, there were certainly plenty of times when, I clearly was the only woman in the room, even when I was the U.S. attorney, and I would have a press conference, for example, and it would be me and you know 15 guys, and we, we would be figuring out like how we're gonna, uh, you know, handle this, how we're gonna you know present the information, and so I really just said, okay, well, I am the U.S. attorney, I'm I'm I'm, in, I'm taking charge, you know, I'll I'll tell you guys what to do, and and they listened, and and they you know they followed those directions, and even you know in this sort of highest role it still didn't prevent things from happening like i remember um walking down the hall of the courthouse and, and one of the judges literally said to me why mary you've been working out oh boy and, and i thought well i could get upset about it or i could just say yes i have i've decided <laughs> to run another marathon and and you, you have to just let those things uh You know, it's really there are people of different generations who think it's okay to to say things like that, but that doesn't take away anything from, you know, from what I was doing in, in that role.
0: But did it help you with trying to shape the culture of you know the u s. attorney's office that you wanted to lead? You know, kind of having experienced some of these. I know how that made me feel, you know, when I was the uh, the only woman on the team or when I was, you know um uh, you know, faced this particular microaggression or bias that I couldn't get, you know a, a an opportunity to hang out at the bar with some of the men on the team.
1: yeah, and I, and I think you can do that by giving people responsibility. Like well, you know, one of the women, um, an Asian woman um, who was uh, relatively new to the office, but she'd spent some time in the Department of Justice, I uh, asked her to run the gang task force. So this was a very unusual thing to do to let a woman run the gang task force. But when you give people responsibility and and you allow them, you know, to do their jobs and to uh, see what they can achieve, uh, you know it really lifts everyone in the office. Um, I I had a uh, wonderful, wonderful lawyer um, who who led our community outreach um, project and, and he had been in the office for a long time and no one had ever really given him. Um, responsibility, he, he was an African American lawyer. Great, great guy and, and I knew that I wanted someone to be able to represent the office in the community who would take it seriously and, and do a do a great job, and so I looked for people. As I said at the outset, in the beginning, who I thought could do great jobs and, and be more representative of the office, and and that's that is how I think you uh, you know build an office and and build um, the sort of responsibility that everyone takes to, to really make sure that the whole office uh, is is you know doing what we should be doing.
0: I think you're spot on, and I often uh, dub it as allowing people to take up some more space. Um, because oftentimes people think, you know, like I can kind of only navigate, you know, this little piece here that I've been assigned or that I've been exposed to, or, or that I can even, you know, have dreamt was possible because of who came before me. Um, But allowing someone to be able to take up some more space, take on some more responsibility uh, to really, you know, tap into their superpowers. um, uh, It does a lot, not only for that individual and showing them kind of, you know, what is possible. uh, But I think also for some others who, you know, maybe had some of the, the preconceived notions that, you know, if I, allow someone else to take up some more space or or have more power. I'm going to lose mine. No, there's enough space for everyone. You know, we can kind of all coexist. We're all here for the same, uh, you know, common goal. And just making sure that at the end of the day, we're getting the right talent in here who can do the job and do it at the high level that we need.
1: Yeah. And I I do think that before there was this thing that if you were, you know, the one woman who, who got to a certain position, like you wanted to stay there and, you want to make sure you were the only woman, and oh. I wanted to break that. Like I wanted mm-hmm. to make sure that I didn't want to be the only one. I wanted others, uh, you know, to, to follow and put put them on, uh, you know, on the course. And so that is definitely something that I intentionally did, and you know, promoted people who'd never had that opportunity before, um, but who worked very hard and were very bright and and just needed that that little boost.
0: I love that. That's a really good segue because I did want to talk about mentorship. And so, um, you know, for people who end up attaining, you know, these uh, very public roles or these very, you know, powerful positions like um, uh, like you've held. Of course, it kind of becomes incumbent upon you to help with shaping, you know, that next generation of women attorneys or, or others who just didn't get opportunities. Um, how did you approach mentorship and, and how did you carve out time to do it, both when you were actually a U.S. attorney and also, of course, uh, following that?
1: Well, one of the things I did in, in the office, um, I think you touched on this a little bit at the beginning about self-care um, mm-hmm. and like taking, taking time to, to try to have balance. Uh, there, there was a period in there where I tried to go to the Rivers Club and work out at slow times during the day. And I was told, mm, you shouldn't be seen with your gym bag walking down Grand Street because people know you're away from the office. So I decided, OK, if I can't go away from the office, I'll do it in the office. So I got the Marshal Service to um, like give us their space for like one hour, a couple times a week, and we brought in a fitness instructor. And so then <laughs> we had um, mostly the w- women in the office, and so we worked, you know, worked out a couple times a week together. And it did bring the togetherness, particularly for some of the younger lawyers or some of the, you know, sports staff that didn't really get to interact with the U.S. Attorney that much. It it was a way you know, to make people feel like, hey, we're all the same here. We're all yep. like down on the ground sweating trying to do these things. <laughs> and and it, you know, g- gave us things, um, you know, to, to, you know, talk about together. And I would try to like invite different people to lunch at different times. Or sometimes I would just have people in you know, order pizza, because I love pizza, and and, and have it, you know, in, in my office. And I would make sure that it wasn't always the same people, that it was different people, so that different yes. people got to, you know, got to have that experience. And and so that's, um, I, I would say, something that I, I made an effort to do, not to be like that U.S. attorney who is at the end of the building that no one ever sees after they come in and they go into the office, but to be someone that everyone could, could feel comfortable coming to talk to
0: you know and i'd be willing to bet that not only um you know were those memorable experiences and that you know as as someone asks those individuals looking back on your career what are some of the fond memories or things that make you smile they talk about having that one-on-one time or that small group time you know with the u.s attorney doing doing squats and doing ab exercises but um i I bet you that it also helped you to retain that talent um you know and individuals knowing that you know i work somewhere where people actually care about me um they care about my self-care uh and they really want to make sure that I've got the time to be able to liaise with them directly. Um, so that that's wonderful. And I think that many other people can kind of take some, some sort of that um, uh, of what you did in the exercising, but turn it into something else and, and bring people in and invite them to lunch, et cetera.
1: Well, I, I also um, did a pretty good job getting the U.S. attorney or getting the attorney general to visit the district often. Hmm. And so there, there were three different attorney, attorneys general that I worked for. And because, you know, I held these different leadership posts, I was always inviting them to the district. And when I did that, I would also invite other agencies. So other, um, you know, other DOJ agencies to come in and and be able to hear, you know, from the attorney general, take pictures with them. And I remember one day someone from the marshal service came to me and said, do you know, in my whole career, no one has done anything this nice. Wow. And, And I thought that's pretty, pretty pathetic. You know that that this opportunity to to meet the attorney general, pretty close, and you know, get a photo is, you know, is the highlight of your career. So I, I thought about things like that. That there there are these interactions that that I have because I'm in D.C. all the time. But to try to bring this to the district so that other people, you know, in, in Pittsburgh could could experience, you know, meet, meeting these people.
0: Building up on that, I have no doubt that. You know the the Greater Pittsburgh community, all of the the Western District, if you will, wanted to to have you come and to speak because we want to talk about the pipeline of talent and so getting you know our, our youth and having them inspired to to you know break those glass ceilings, et cetera. Um, how do we empower our um, our young women and our girls to to pursue their dreams and to achieve their goals and to to shatter those glass ceilings?
1: Well, I, I think we we have to let them know that it's possible mm-hmm. to. To have them, uh, you know, look at these opportunities sooner so that they can sort of think about how they can shape their careers to potentially, you know, be in this position someday. I definitely did a lot of speaking uh, in the community, different community groups. Um, I probably many nights a week so it's like my, my calendar was pretty packed all the time. <laughs> I, I have no I, doubt. I knew that I only had. Well, when you go into it, you, you know, you have four years, but I had eight years, but you know, it's a limited amount of time and it goes by so fast. And, and I wanted to utilize, you know, every opportunity possible to do what I could to, to try to make Pittsburgh, uh, you know, in the Western District a much better place
0: hmm. I want to make sure that we still, of course, carve out some time to, to talk about your pivot. And so, you know, you came from the law firm and then you went into into government. And of course, that's um, not a post that you can keep forever. And so what, what advice would you have for individuals who are thinking about, you know, a pivot such as that in their career, you know, going from uh, the private sector to the public sector and then, and then maybe even coming back or going to go work for a nonprofit? Um, Taking that leap, I mean, it's something that can very much so seem daunting. Uh, and so, what advice do you have for individuals who are contemplating taking that well, leap?
1: You know, there were definitely a lot of leaps, uh, you know, th- that I took. And, and I think as I was building my career, I was always thinking that every additional thing that I did, every new experience that I learned, w- would be something that would help me to develop a career. Now, I never did anything that I would hate to, hate doing, but it's like, wait a minute, I if if I ever Maybe you want to be a judge someday it would be a good idea to, to learn, you know, civil and criminal. It will be a good idea to, to try appellate a work because until you do these things, you know, you don't know if you like them and it, and it just really rounds out uh, your career. Um, I got very involved um, while I was at the Department of Justice um, in working with the U.S. Sentencing Commission to rewrite mm. the guidelines for business organizations. And in, in that role, I got to meet a lot of people from the private sector because I was just one person from the Justice Bureau, and everyone else was from the private sector. And it, it showed me that, wait a minute, even though we're prosecuting corporate fraud and, um, you know, violations of Sarbanes-Oxley, these people are not bad people like they, they want to work together, they want to share best practices, they want to be ethical, they want, you know, to have the best compliance departments possible. So I got pretty involved in, in that area, and it was that that really took me to my next role, which was um, to conduct the UN's first ethics and reputational risk assessment for peacekeeping and special political operations. So it was by you know meeting some of these people that I met someone at the UN who then contacted me afterwards um, to then take this additional skill set that I learned, you know, to go out and design a study and you know, figure out how the UN could, um, you know, could make itself operate better, you know, and then from there, having that experience and then having the um, justice experience, the next logical step was to to join a law firm. And I just took, you know, took all the experiences that I had and figured out, well, how would, how would these experiences benefit a law firm? How would this make me a better partner? How could I contribute um, and help my partners serve their clients? What are all the things that I can bring to the table to help them, you know, help their clients. And so it's just a continuous building and, and thinking about how you can enhance your skills to be able to to maybe do the next thing. And I haven't even gotten into blockchain yet.
0: Well, I was gonna, I was gonna ask that next. So tell us about your work now.
1: So uh, while I was with a um, partner with, with a law firm in New York City, I convinced uh, the firm to develop a digital currency team. So, so that, you know, blockchain was new at, at this time 10 years ago okay. and um, we, we got different lawyers with different disciplines to, to try to focus on this new area and to help companies navigate. And so I got very, very involved in this and, you know, after five years decided to go in house um, with one of my clients and, and be their general counsel. And then I've been general counsel to a couple other uh, companies in the space. And they really do need guidance because many of these companies are young and, and they, don't necessarily understand where there are rules and, and where uh, you know, things uh, might need to be interpreted based on what uh, regulators have done in the past. Uh, and I, I now you know taken that to advising two Swiss blockchains. And so I never imagined I'd be doing what I'm doing today, but it was all just a series of building on those experiences and, and taking um, you know, what I'd done in the past and figure out how I can apply it to do a new thing. And I love it. I mean, I, I've been practicing since 87 and I've done so many different things And it's not just because I'm old. It's because I have really, you know, uh, done so many different things.
0: Well, it also speaks to the versatility of, of the law degree, you know, and of course, those analytical skills and, you know, again, so talking about kind of how you've continued to build, you know, all of the different skills that you've picked up from all the different posts that you've held and all the different places where you've worked, you're able to now apply them kind of um, uh, holistically and talk about, you know, how can you then better uh, service whoever your client is at the time uh, and, and bring in a better service and also the collaboration piece.
1: Yeah, I, w- I would say too, for, for, you know, younger lawyers just getting started, when you have an opportunity to do something, when someone gives you an opportunity to shine, take mm-hmm. take that opportunity. You know, I there were just many many things along the way that, you know, I was asked to do that I maybe had never done. I, I was invited. I um, remember the first time to to come and stand in for the national security advisor to talk about um, what we were doing. You know, uh, in the fight against terror. And I remember like standing in that room where the president stands, like to, to give these briefings, like I am standing here, you know, and and I've been asked to do something. And I'm really I'm stretching here. But I just said to myself, you know what, you can do this, you do it. And you just get those opportunities. After Hurricane Katrina, um the uh, Justice Department came to me and said, Look, it's, it's a mess down there. Like what what can what can you do? What, and and at the time I was also acting director on the Office on Violence Against Women. Mm. And I knew that, you know, all the shelters had, had either burned down or been washed away. And there was so much uh, domestic violence, you know, right after the hurricane. And so I thought, well, you know, what, what can we do? And I went down there and, and talked to the different um, shelter, uh, you know, uh, operators and said, like, do you guys want to come together and build a family justice center? And they welcomed the opportunity. And so, in six months, I brought like 30 different agencies together to create this family justice center. I'd never done anything like this in my life, but but I was given the challenge and said, you know, you you, you go do it. And I, you know, grabbed grabbed the bone by the horns and did it. And that's that's one of the greater accomplishments I think of my time. that has nothing to do with you know prosecuting crime, but uh, you know, giving an opportunity to bring people together and and make things better in the community.
0: I want to end, of course, you know, on a on a um an optimistic note. Uh, and so we are now graduating law school classes, Mary Beth, with near gender parity. Um, you know, we're getting to that point where we get, um, you know, 50% of the law school classes that are that are graduating, you know, men, 50% women. Uh, what's your prediction for the future of the profession? Uh, do you think that we're getting to a point where we can have just as many women practicing law as men, um, just as many women who are getting into leadership posts? Are those, are those glass ceilings beginning to be shattered on a more frequent basis?
1: Yeah, I really think they are, and someday I hope that we no longer talk about um, you know, the, the first African-American president or the first woman U.S. attorney or the first, you know, because we shouldn't, we shouldn't be labeled by what we look like. We, we should um, be, be judged on our abilities. Uh, I did a little corny thing, you know, when I wanted to be the U.S. attorney, I would walk by the door and it was um, like in the middle of a hall uh, in the courthouse and, you um, you know, it was a big, big, big door and a big seal, Department of Justice, and it had like the name of the U.S. attorney. So during this process, I would, I would visualize that like someday my name will be on that door. And I, and I did, I did this, you know, for months. And then one day, you know, when I came back from Spain and I walked in the office and there it was. And it was like, yes, you know, you, you have to imagine that you can. And if you, and if you imagine it and, and you make it happen, uh, you know, it will happen. And and that's what young people need to think about. They need to think of not being limited by anything, like, by you know, thinking about where, where do they see themselves, you know, in 10, 20, 30 years and, and to put themselves on that path to be able to do it, because there should be no uh, no roadblocks. There should be no reason why, uh, you know, we all can't achieve our highest goals.
0: I love it. I love it, right? The vision. Uh, it's it's funny because I was sitting here thinking, how is the story going to end with you kind of posing and, and going by the door every day? And I was thinking, are you going to say you were taking a selfie in front of the US Attorney's Office, but different time. If that happened current day, I bet you you'd be taking that uh, that selfie in front of that that seal on the door. Um, as we close up, last question, Mary Beth, what do you want your legacy to be? Uh, you've had such an amazing career. Um, again, you've been able to kind of pivot um, back and forth between the private and public sectors. You've had the appointed positions. you've had positions on a national level. Um, you've been lawyering, you've done you've done other things. What do you want your legacy to be when people talk about uh, Mary Beth and all of her Mary Beth's contributions?
1: well, I, I hope that people will say, you know if a little girl from Roscoe could become the first woman u s. attorney, anyone can be anything that, <laughs> that they want to be, and that um, you know we should just keep keep striving for it. and and I hope that uh, you know, they can look to to me an example with my, you know, pretty, um, you know, modest upbringing and to say if, if she could put this together and, and make it happen, you know, we we can too.
0: And I love how you styled that that people will say this about you, because I can tell you that even though I know you certainly are an inspiration to tons of women, this is Women's History Month, and that's, you know, how we came to highlight you. Um, inspiring me today, just hearing your story, talking about, of course, how you were navigating everything post 9-11 uh, and your leadership style has been absolutely inspirational to me as well. Mary Beth, thank you so much for joining me. I have um, I learned a great deal, and I thank you for everything that you have done uh, in your career, because I think that it is uh, very much so going to inspire the next generation of leaders and many generations to come.
1: Thank you very much, and Thank you for highlighting uh, the, the many uh, women who have done great things here in our region.
0: Yes, happy to do so. Thanks so much. Dimensions of Diversity is brought to you by Buchanan, Ingersoll, and Rooney. Please rate and review our podcast. We would love to hear from you. And don't forget to subscribe to hear all of our new content as we continue to explore ways in which we can all advance diversity and inclusion. I'm your host, Lloyd Freeman. Thank you for listening.